That chat is brought to you by Walters. Make Walters your pre-match and post-match spot this summer for DC United home games. Register at waltersdc.com slash events to get a free beer during pregame. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's a pitch to Alex Cole, swung on and lined in the gap in left center field. That's going to get down and roll to the wall. This is going to clear the bases. Smith has scored. Rounding third, coming home, Ruiz. He scores the throw too late. And standing at second with a double is Alex Cole. Clearing the bases, driving in his 18th and 19th runs of the year. It's the Nationals three and the Padres nothing. The 2-2. Swing a line drive, caught by Edwards. How do you like that? Edwards reaches up and snares the line drive off the bat of Hassan Kim. Now the pitch. Did he go on a check swing? They're going to peel. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Bogart's down swing and a slider. Fans for the fourth time tonight. And Hunter Harvey has himself a 1-2-3 inning with two strikeouts. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, May 25th, 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So if you go by the data on baseball prospectuses, cuts, baseball contracts, the Nationals for this season, as of early April, had a 40-man payroll that was $154.5 million less than the 40-man payroll of the San Diego Padres. And yet here we are more or less a third of the way into the regular season, and the Nats are just one game worse than the Padres are. The Nats beat the Padres 5-3 at Nationals Park on Wednesday night in Game 2 of a three-game series. Nats now 21-28, and the Padres now 22-27. and We know the deal in baseball, money guarantees nothing, but what's happening with the Padres this season is something, and what's happening with the Nats continues to be encouraging. They're now 17-17, and since the 4 and 11 start they're now 20 and 22 since the 1 and 6 start this installment of the Nat Chat podcast is brought to you by Votes for Women the latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games mark a very nice very solid win by the Nats on Wednesday night this was a by the books win al everything went exactly as you would want it to go you take an early lead you get your starter into the 6th inning with the lead intact And then you can finally go to the three relievers you do trust and get them to finish it out. And there was no drama really late in this game. And that was 
a nice thing to see. That's not always the way it works for them. We've seen it work sometimes like that. It's really nice when you do see it work. And it is pretty amazing that here we are 49 games in and they're only one game behind a Padres team that came in with way higher expectations than the Nationals did. But I wonder if that's part of the equation here. On the one hand, you have a team facing a ton of pressure, trying to get to and then win its first World Series in franchise history with a loaded roster full of stars. And on the other side, you have a rebuilding team coming off 107 losses that had zero pressure coming into the year, and they're overperforming, I think, in some ways. Maybe not internally, they don't feel that, but externally, they certainly do. It's funny how that works. Pressure in sports is a real thing, and you can assemble the best roster you want. It doesn't always work out that way. We saw it here with the Nationals for several different years during their run from 2012 to 19. There were years that on paper, you said this should be a playoff team, a World Series contender, and they didn't even make it there. So I do wonder, it's a long way to go, but I wonder if this version of the Padres is feeling a little bit of that right now. Very much could be the case. And, you know, we so often attach the caveat of, well, it's early. Well, let's see how it plays out. I mean, the season is playing out. You know, we're almost a third of the way into this thing. We're almost at that first holiday checkpoint of Memorial Day weekend. Like, we do have somewhat of a sample size here of this season. And, you know, I think the more that we see of the Nats, the more that there is to like with this and the more that this feels like a step forward season. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how much of a step forward season is this. But I think my favorite part about what we're seeing with this team this season is that you can have the conversation of, hey, has the timeline for the rebuild been expedited? And, you know, we don't know the answer to that question, but you can at least entertain that notion. A year ago, you could not entertain that notion. I mean, a year ago, you and I almost mocked this idea of, you know, last season was going to be like 2010 and maybe this season could be like 2011. Like, boy, it did not feel like that at all last season. Now, all of a sudden, maybe this season could be like 2011, where you get close to 500. And maybe you end up having a step forward season in terms of being a contender a year sooner than later. You don't know, but your mind can at least wander in that direction. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because based on the way last year went, I came into this year saying, all right, well, I guess this will be 2010. And especially when Cade Cavalli got hurt, it reminded me so much of Steven Strasburg getting hurt as a rookie. Now, he made his 10 starts before that happened. Cavalli didn't even make it out of spring training. But I did sort of think to myself, all right, this will be 2010. They'll show some signs, but they're not really ready yet. And then maybe next year they flirt with 500 and then we're looking at 2025. But you're right. The way they're playing right now, especially since the first week of the season, gives you reason to believe that things could come together in a quicker fashion than maybe we thought. Now, knock on wood, they've stayed pretty healthy, at least in terms of the important players have stayed pretty healthy. That's a huge part of this. For them to get through this whole season and finish somewhere in the 70 win range or even knock on wood somehow higher than that, they've got to stay healthy, especially when it comes to Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray, I would argue. So there's a long way to go still for that. But 49 games into this, it's hard not to be pleased with the progress that they've made. And it's not that crazy to look at what they have and say, if they just do this a little bit better and do that a little bit better and maybe add this one more or two more pieces in the offseason, they could go into next season feeling legitimately good about where they're standing. And who knows how that all turns out in a tough NL East, but I would feel way more optimistic today than I did on opening day based on how we thought the season was going to play out. 
I don't know how you don't. I mean, even if you are naturally pessimistic, even if you are naturally glass half empty, like I don't know how you don't feel better about this team now as compared to just about two months ago. Well, the Nats on Wednesday night, a four-run bottom of the second inning, and that ended up holding up. I mean, that more or less ended up being the game. I mean, the Nats in this game had nine hits and three walks, certainly not an overwhelming offensive performance, but four of the hits, one of the walks came in that four-run second inning. This was a productive game for Alex Cole. There's a phrase that we have not said often here lately. So Cole, of course, has been the Nats' number one center fielder as Victor Robles continues to be out. He's been on the 10-day injured list since May 8th, retroactive to May 7th with back spasms. Cole really has not been doing so well. He has been dropped in the lineup. But Alex Cole on Wednesday night as the Nats' starting center fielder and number eight batter, two for four with a two-run double and a single. Cole in that Nats' Four-run second, a first pitch, two-run double to the left center field gap for a 3-0 Nats lead and call in the Nats. One-run fourth, a one-out first pitch, opposite field single to right center field. We talk about this Nats lineup and how, you know, one game it's this guy, another game it's that guy. It really hasn't been Alex Call at all here lately, but he did come through on Wednesday night. He did, and this was a good matchup for him and for several others in the lineup. They have very quietly as a team, and, and he's a big part of this, been very effective against lefties, opposing lefties. The team came into the day with an 800 OPS against lefties this season, sixth the best in the majors. So, you know, stark difference from them versus right-handers where they're 26th in the majors in OPS. So they actually have hit lefties. Call has been high on that list, 800 OPS. You have Stone Garrett's been good, Lane Thomas over 1,000. Even some of the lefty hitters, Luis Garcia, Dominic Smith, have been better against lefties than against righties for whatever reason. So it actually was a kind of good matchup, I think, for them against Ryan Weathers. And you saw them take it to him in the second inning, five straight hits to open the inning. Call's two-run double was the big one that kind of broke it open. And it is funny when they get that kind of production, it just allows everybody to take a breath and feel good about yourself. And it's not this uphill climb all night. And it feels like that's kind of the two ways this team goes offensively. They either score early and you feel good about the way it's going to go, or they take a long time to get going and maybe they threaten late or even pull it off late. But more often than not, we have a pretty good sense early on what kind of night it's going to be offensively. Yeah. And I think one of the key aspects of this team being so much better since the one and six start or the four and 11 start, however you want to break it down, is that you are seeing some bigger innings. Like it's not a great offensive team, but you're not shocked anymore when the Nats put up a crooked number for an inning. Like they are capable of doing that. We are seeing that. We obviously saw that on Wednesday night. So good job by Alex Call. Kate Ruiz had one of the run scoring hits in that inning, an opposite field RBI single to right for a one nothing lead. I got a kick out of this. So Kate was one of the guys who scored on the Alex Call two run double. And Kate Ruiz ran through the stop sign of Nats third base coach Gary DeSarcina. And this stuck out to me from this standpoint. And I talked about this on a recent installment of the podcast. I don't think you were on that show, but you know, Ruiz has made some outs on the base pass lately. And I don't know, I don't know if he's a little reckless or a little careless, but like, you know, you're not supposed to do that, run through the stop sign of the third base coach. Now it worked in this instance, and the aggression paid off. So I guess at the end of the day, you say, hey, good job, Kate Ruiz. But I don't know if he thinks that he's JT Real Muto in terms of speed for a catcher or what, but you know, for a guy who's made some outs on the base pass, I do think he maybe needs to be a little more careful. And you run through a stop sign like that, you can get yourself in some trouble, but it worked. So I guess at the end of the day, you pat him on the back and say, hey, just don't do that again, please. 
Yeah, well, the thing he needs to do is actually run with his head up and look at his third base coach because he admitted afterwards he didn't even see him. He had his head down. There are stop signs and then there are blatant hold him stop signs. <laughs> Gary DiCarcina could not have been more obvious with the hold sign there. Everybody in the ballpark could see it except for Cabert Ruiz. It worked out in the end, but you're right. If that backfires, that's not a good look for them and for a team that can't afford to be giving away outs like that. He was chugging. I mean, he was running hard all the way. I give him credit for that, but maybe not the smartest play. Got a little lucky with that. It was definitely the comedic moment of the night because it worked out, but it could have gotten ugly pretty quick. But that was one of several moments in this game, and I I liked this overall. The Nats were aggressive on the bases, stealing bases, taking extra bases, forcing some bad throws. And I thought that was actually a big part of this game, something that you watch them and you see some of the guys they have on this team and you say to yourself, they should do that more. That seems what they're built to do, and they don't do it a lot. And I don't know if it just happened this way in this game or if there was a specific plan to do that tonight, but I was glad to see them be aggressive and for the most part, it paid off for them. Yeah, the Padres in this game, three errors, two of which were throwing errors. You had something like C.J. Abrams, bottom of the seventh, a leadoff opposite field single to left. He then stole second base, and that steal prompted a throwing error by the Padres catcher, Brett Sullivan. The Padres were not impressive in this game at all, certainly from a fielding standpoint. I mean, we saw our friend Juan Soto at one point in left field uh, bobble a ball on a hit that happened later on in the game. This episode of Nats Chat is sponsored by VotesForWomen.com, the latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games. Fort Circle's mission is to create fun and easy-to-learn board games for a wide range of ages. Votes for Women is a board game that lets players relive the fight to ratify the 19th Amendment. Perfect for those in D.C. that love history and want to learn more about it. Designed by Nationals fan and D.C. resident Tory Brown and published by Nats Chat superfan Kevin Bertram. Order from www.votesforwomen.com. That's votesforwomen.com. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Some amazing news from Window Nation. You can modernize and reinvest in your home today with new windows from Window Nation, all while capitalizing on Window Nation's best deal of the year. 0% financing for five years. Unheard of. Zero interest for five years. And Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. But act soon because this deal does expire at the end of the month. Protect and increase the value of your home today by taking advantage of this great offer. Again, 0% financing for five years and two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And by the way, that goes for any style of window from Window Nation. And there's no limit. Save thousands of dollars on your new windows and save money on energy bills, all while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. But don't forget, this deal does expire at the end of the month. Set for the lefty in the pitch. Swing a fly ball deep left field. Down the line toward the corner. Soto's not going to get it. It lands on the warning track and bounces off the wall. Cole will score. The throw into second is offline. It's a double for Lane Thomas and a clutch two-out RBI hit. Nationals lead it 5-2. Thomas with RBI number 25. Goes after the first pitch slider and 
It's a bullet into the left field corner. Lane Thomas, I mean, his tremendous May continues. Another big hit for him on Wednesday night. One for four with an RBI double. The RBI double coming in a one-run fourth. A two-out first pitch RBI double off the left field warning track for a 5-2 Nats lead. Your Lane Thomas slash line for this month of May. Batting average of 330, on base percentage of 366, slugging percentage of 636. I know we've talked about Lane Thomas. I'm not sure what else there is to say at this point, but he has been so good in this month of May. I mean, he has been, in a lot of ways, the Nationals MVP for this month of May. Years ago, George Steinbrenner, as an insult of Dave Winfield, called him Mr. May. In this instance, it is a compliment to say that Lane Thomas is the Nationals Mr. May. Absolutely. And the best thing he could do is also be Mr. June, July, August, and September and keep it up and he'll have really have himself quite a season. But it's been so nice to see that, to see him sustain it. And and they're meaningful hits too. He's not just compiling these stats in blowouts or in a way that doesn't have any impact on games. He is very much contributing to their success. And that's been a, a wonderful thing to see. I got to mention one other mistake by the Padres that I got a kick out of as well. In the second inning earlier in that inning on the Dom Smith single to right, it bounces and it gets away from Fernando Tatis. And all I'm seeing from high up in the press box is a guy wearing number 22 Nationals jersey, singling to right field, the ball getting by the right fielder as guys are scrambling around the bases. Juan Soto and Trent Grisham are in the outfield as this is all happening, but they weren't actually involved in the play. That was just a little too good, a perfect moment coming together for anybody who gets the significance of that. Isn't it funny how baseball will do that? And there are like a lot of moments in baseball like that. It's it just, it is odd. You know, like you do wonder sometimes if there are baseball gods who are sort of playing jokes on all of us with stuff like that. Yeah, that was pretty remarkable. Dominic Smith did have another two hit game, two for four with two singles for a second consecutive game. So look, not a spectacular offensive performance, but you know, in some ways, maybe that makes you feel even better about this game. Like, you know, you can have sort of a ho-hum offensive game and still come away with a win over a team that at least on paper is supposed to be pretty good. Well, the Nats starting pitcher in this game on Wednesday night, this 5-3 victory over the Padres was Trevor Williams. And, you know, Mark talked about this game as being sort of a by-the-books win for the Nats. This is sort of a by-the-books start for Trevor Williams in this 2023 season. This was kind of your typical Trevor Williams outing. He's had a bunch of these here lately. Not great, but, you know, not like terrible. I mean, it was good enough to sort of have you in the game. Williams on Wednesday night, three runs in five and two-thirds innings. He only gave up three hits, although two of them were home runs to go with a single. He issued three walks. He had five strikeouts. Did throw a good number of balls, 94 pitches, 53 strikes, 41 balls. Top of the fourth, he allowed two runs on a leadoff walk, a Juan Soto, and a two-out, two-run homer by Rugnet Odor to right field to cut the Nats lead to 4-2. And top of the fifth, Williams allowed a run on a leadoff opposite field home run by Ha Sung Kim to right center on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Nats lead to 5-3. But, you know, Williams had a lead. He early on was shutting down the Padres. And so, you know, he could afford to give up a few home runs. He has given up some homers this season. He's given up a Nats worst nine homers now in this regular season. But the ERA is at 432. The whip is at 124. That's the lowest whip among all Nats starters for this regular season. And again, not great, but not awful. A solid outing in a lot of ways for Trevor Williams. He gives them a chance pretty much every time, and that's all you can ask for from him in that particular role. So that was good. The two things that stood out to me about this one first, and I missed this last week in Miami. I wasn't there, so maybe I just wasn't paying attention. He pitched out of a full windup. He had only been out of the stretch, which he said he started doing 
when he was a reliever for the Mets. And coming into this season, because of the pitch clock, he thought it would be better to stay out of the stretch all the time, that that would be a more effective way to manipulate the clock or deal with the clock. And he said a week or so ago, he just felt like this isn't working. I don't like the way this feels. I don't like the way it looks. So he went back to the windup. And this is a legitimate windup, hands over the head, full scale windup. And he's pitched pretty well like this. So I think he's going to stick with it. So that was number one. Number two thing, and I think this is actually kind of significant. Davey let him face the top of the Padres lineup three times. And that's something that for a quote unquote swing man or somebody who's maybe the number five or number four starter, you don't always see that happening. But he gave him the opportunity to do that. And he did a really nice job there. This is a good top of the lineup, by the way, that San Diego has. So in the fifth, he faces Fernando Tatis, gets him to fly out, faces Jay Cronenworth, gets him to line out, comes back out for the sixth. And now he's got the heart of the order. He gets Juan Soto on a comebacker strikes out Xander Bogarts, and he's one pitch away from ending the inning with Matt Carpenter at the plate. And he went from an 0-2 count. Carpenter fouled off a bunch. And on a 3-2 pitch, he walked him. And then Davey decided to pull him after that. I know Trevor really wished he had gotten that last out. He really wanted to finish on a positive note like that. But I think just the fact that he even, those first four hitters, got them all, facing them for a third time. For a guy like Trevor Williams, I think that's a big deal. And it'll give Davey more reason to be confident enough in him to let him do that in the future. I think it is part of this delicate balance beam that Davey Martinez is walking of, you know, as his trust in these Nats relievers has sort of withered here lately, right? And you are seeing Nats starters, for the most part, do a pretty good job, including these two veterans in Williams and Patrick Corbin. Do you start to see Davey sort of push it a little bit with Williams and Corbin and let those guys do what they, for the most part, have not been allowed to do this season, and that is face lineups for third times in games? And I think that's going to be really interesting, especially with our good friend Patrick Corbin. I mean, if he does continue to pitch well, you know, does Davey start to push it a little bit with him and see if Patrick can do the things that, you know, in theory, a guy like Corbin with his salary should be doing? Yeah, I agree. We have seen Corbin get to the seventh and even the eighth at one start when he dominated against the Cubs. Williams has only completed six innings twice, so this was pushing him a little bit farther than he usually does. But I think he's earning the right to at least give it a try here sometimes. And you're right. We talked about the other night when you only trust, let's say, three relievers in this bullpen right now, and you can't go to them every time all the time, and you can't ask for multiple innings out of them all the time. You do have to push your starter and try to get him through the sixth or maybe into the seventh and take some pressure off. Now, this all worked out exactly right because he had Carl Edwards come in for the sixth, get the last out, come back to start the seventh, Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finney. It all worked out really well. But Williams getting the two outs in the sixth allowed that to even be possible. If he doesn't start the inning or if he gets into trouble early in the inning, it's going to screw up the plan that Davey has in his mind of how he wants that all to work out with his bullpen. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. 
Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Finnegan ready. 0-2 the count, two out, nobody on top of the ninth. The kick and the pitch is in there. Strike three call. A splitter, the outside part of the plate, rings up Trent Grisham, who strikes out for the third time tonight. And with outstanding relief pitching for the Nationals over the final three and a third innings, they preserve a victory for Trevor Williams, his second of the year. And the Nationals even this series with the San Diego Padres. The final score, the Washington Nationals 5, the San Diego Padres 3. So with that Nats bullpen on Wednesday night, great stuff. Three Nats relievers combined for three and a third scoreless innings with four strikeouts. And the three relievers were probably the three top relievers in the bullpen, at least in the mind of the manager here. Carl Edwards Jr., he has looked a bit better here lately, so maybe he's getting back to where you want him to be. Faced four batters, he got three outs. Hunter Harvey, one and a third perfect innings with two strikeouts. And on just 13 pitches, 10 strikes versus three balls, and then Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the ninth. So a no-drama game for the bullpen. It was Finnegan who was used as the closer, and I thought this was really interesting from Davey Martinez's post-game press conference. Him talking about how, and I guess this isn't like shocking, but it's just, you know, I think cool to hear. Every series, you know, I do my work before everybody comes in, 
and I pick groups of guys based on information that I get, you know, on, on where guys I feel best matching up late in games. You know, that group, those, those group of guys uh, was where I really felt comfortable with Harvey and then, you know, Finnegan behind him. And-, and so there is a method to the madness here of, you know, one game you see Finnegan in the sixth, the next game you see Finnegan in the ninth. You know, Hunter Harvey has been used all over the place. You know, we saw the one game in which Harvey was at least used as the closer as opposed to Finnegan. Pretty clearly, Davey sees Finnegan and Harvey as the Nats' top two relievers. And pretty clearly right now, there isn't necessarily like a designated, true, definitive closer. But I thought it was a good sort of pulling back of the curtain by Davey in that press conference of sort of saying, hey, this is how I'm arriving at what I'm doing right now. Right. And I think sometimes fans have to hear that because they don't always realize it. And they think, oh, he's just pulling straws out of a hat or, you know, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just, you know, going to do this, this or that. So I actually, it started prior to the game. I asked him pregame, point blank, if you have a lead in the ninth inning, who's your closer right now? And he kind of laughed and he said, it depends on the matchups. They'll pitch the eighth and ninth. It all depends on what the matchups look like. At any given moment, Finnegan's going to close for us and, and Harvey. And I think we've started to see that the last week or two. It's funny there, going into this game, their last six save opportunities, he had alternated. Finnegan, Harvey, Finnegan, Harvey, Finnegan, Harvey. Not necessarily by design, but that's the way it worked out. And what you're now seeing is exactly as he explained after the game. He goes into the night and says, okay, which part of this lineup do I want Finnegan to face? Which part of this lineup do I want Harvey to face? Okay, once I've decided that, now we see how the game plays out. And if that part of the lineup that it's Hunter Harvey's is going to be up in the seventh or the eighth, well, that'll be him. If it looks like that's going to be the ninth, well, we're going to save him for the ninth and Finnegan will go earlier. And it's a very forward way of managing, I think. I mean, not to knock a guy, but Matt Williams is the third base coach of the San Diego Padres. He's here in town right now with them. And Matt is, by the way, dealing with colon cancer and undergoing chemotherapy right now and still coaching. So I want to wish him the best. I caught up with him the other day. He is strong-willed as ever, determined to to fight this and good for him. You know, for whatever his faults he had as a manager, he's a very good person and everybody's wishing him well with that. Now, having said that, we know how Matt Williams managed the bullpen. Paint by numbers. This guy's my seventh inning guy. This guy's my eighth inning guy. This guy's my ninth inning guy. And there was very little wiggle room there. And it cost them very likely in the playoffs in 2014. What we've seen Davey Martinez do in the past and what we're seeing him do right now is the opposite of that. He knows who he likes in what spots, and then he lets the game play out and dictate and say, okay, I want this guy in this inning now because that's who he's facing, and I'm going to save the other guy for the ninth. And it doesn't have to be your best guy in the ninth. Sometimes the save comes earlier, and that's what he's doing here, and I think it's really nice to see it and nice to see him explain it in a way that hopefully most people can understand. It's funny with Davey because with the bunting and the sacrificing and even some of the lineup stuff he's done, like, you know, sticking with Nelson Cruz last season, sticking with Cesar Hernandez last season, he doesn't come off as forward thinking. But of course, Davey was Joe Madden's right-hand man for years. And we saw what Davey did in October 2019 in navigating the Nats having such a bad bullpen to win a World Series. And, you know, with what you just outlined with Finnegan and Harvey, like there is forward thinking stuff with Davey. It just, it does kind of toggle though sometimes between like you see stuff and you're saying, why are you doing things like this in 2023? But then on the other hand, especially with the bullpen, I think Davey in a lot of ways does do a lot of good stuff. And, you know, I think if you were to rank the most difficult slash important things a manager does, right? And certainly things like managing the personalities in a clubhouse can be a big thing. But I think you can make a really good case that handling the bullpen is the hardest or maybe the most important thing a manager does. 
I don't think setting a lineup really is that difficult. I think a lot of fans could probably set lineups. I think the same thing with a starting rotation. I think even with pulling a starting pitcher, you can more or less do that. It's not easy, but it's doable. But managing a bullpen, coming up with a game plan for that given game with the bullpen, knowing when to have a guy warm up, when to not have a guy warm up, knowing how to play the matchups, knowing who's going well and who isn't. That's not easy. That's tough, especially with these relievers who are so fickle and so, you know, season to season, even month to month. That's not easy. And uh, there's something to be said for a manager who can do a good job in that regard. Yeah, I agree. I think that is the most significant in-game thing that they do that has the most impact on the outcomes of games. And it's also taking that one individual game, but also putting it into the larger context of the season and understanding that the decisions you make today are going to affect what you can do tomorrow, the day after that, and keeping guys healthy. And it really is a delicate balance of how to do that. Davey Johnson is the best I've seen at it in my years of covering this team. Now, it also helps when you have enough good quality relievers. And Davey Johnson had a lot of those back in 2012 to be able to do it the way that he did it. But I think that arguably Davey Martinez is maybe second best at it among the ones they've had. Jim Riggleman was pretty good at X's and O's and that kind of stuff as well. But you give Davey a couple of good weapons in your bullpen. And like he was explaining there, figure out who he wants to use when. I think he gets it right more than he gets it wrong. There are times he warms somebody up too much or warms them up and doesn't bring him into a game or gets himself into a spot where three days later, somebody's not available because he was used too much. But I think for the most part, he is pretty good at the way he manages all that. And like you said, his forward thinking, he doesn't care about the ninth inning being more important than any other. He's going to look for the most important moment in the game, and it could be the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, whatever it is. And he's going to try to get his best guy out there for that moment. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show. And if you have a memory of the Nationals run to that 2019 World Series championship, we are uh, accepting your voice memo submissions. So record yourself into your smartphone, email the file to us, and we'll play selected submissions at the ends of shows here. Uh, again, that email address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website too, natschatpodcast.com. You can go there, listen to previous installments of the show, and also get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Again, that website is natschatpodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to our sponsor for this installment of the podcast, Votes for Women, the latest board game release by DC's Fort Circle Games. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast, and we leave you with this voice memo from Claire from Charlottesville, Virginia. Hey guys, Claire from Charlottesville here. Where do I even begin? From that abysmal early season win-loss record to the wild card entry, this team kept me on my toes. I'm a school teacher, so when the World Series rolled around, I had some bets going with my third graders. You gotta teach those life skills early, right? I was in grad school at the time and I didn't have access to any streaming services, so I actually had to drive to my gym to watch the games. And I'll never forget seeing Zim hit that first home run in game one. I was in school at UVA, so it was especially meaningful to a fellow Wahoo. And what a gift it was to see Eaton and Strasburg and Soto and Rendon do their thing in game six. And not to mention Davey getting ejected. That's my manager right there. And getting to see the Cy Young winner matchup in game seven and the last pitch by Daniel Hudson. Like, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Needless to say, I was paid out in fruit snacks at school the next day. 
and my students learned a very important lesson about loyalty. But more than anything, I just want to let you guys know how much I appreciate all that you do for this fan base. This past summer, I signed a lease in D.C. days before Soto was traded. So needless to say, it's been a painful year. They say there's no crying in baseball, but there have been lots of tears over here lately. So thank you for letting me relive 2019, even if just for a moment. I'm proud to be a fan of the Washington Nationals, the team who has never lost World Series. What a time to be alive. Here's the wide of the pitch. Swing and a drive hit well. Deep center field. Way back goes Springer to the warning track. Looking up and it is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes the Z-Man to the deepest part of Minute Maid Park. Just to the left of the batter's eye in center field. Ryan Zimmerman with his second home run of the postseason cuts the Astros lead in half. It's Houston 2 and Washington 1. On a postseason World Series home run for Ryan Zimmerman.